They say having money's not everything, not having it is. Love of money's evil, but who don't want to be rich? Wealth is fundamental for the life that you want to live. As you pursue that wish, don't sacrifice this list. Physical health, uh-huh. emotional health, social, spiritual health, of course. Financial health, health is wealth, health is wealth. Yeah. Tap in, let's go. Welcome to another episode of the Health is Wealth show. This show is for people who want to achieve financial independence without foregoing their overall health. What we want to do here is create a community where people can come and share, come and learn and grow from the examples and stories of individuals who have pursued and achieved both health and wealth. And today we have an amazing guest teed up. Um, He's really the star of the show, and I don't want to take too long before you get to hear from him, but... I would be remiss if I didn't at least try and take a stab at introducing the great Matt Brewer. (laughs) For those of you who do not know who he is, Matt is a mortgage planner with Fairway Mortgage. He's uh, a fisherman. He's a snowboarder. He's a dad. He's a husband. He's an avid golfer. He likes to tell himself stories that he's better than me on the links, but (laughs) to his surprise, he will soon realize that is not the case. But most, most importantly, one thing that you got to know about Matt before you hear him talk is that before we started recording, I asked him if it would be comfortable saying that, you know, he has a team, to which he politely declined and said negative. He has the best team. So you can already kind of get an etching of how he's wired. Um, he's a businessman by trade, but he's a visionary at heart. So I'm really glad Matt decided to join us on the show today. Uh, with no further ado, Matt Brewer, welcome, man. How's it going? Yeah, great, great. Thanks, Robert. Wow, that's quite an intro, man. That that was a, over the top, but <laughs> I appreciate the kind words. Thank you. So. You're so very welcome. So to our listeners who do not know you, why don't you provide us with a little snapshot into the life of Matt Brewer? Um, well, yeah, okay. So Matt, uh, dad of three, got one in college already, and a senior in high school, a 14-year-old going to high school, married my high school sweetheart. So super boring guy, still like each other. Actually, we're going on a date after this, actually going out for a burger and a couple beers. And, um, so married my high school sweetheart, still like each other going to see my daughter play her first college volleyball game next week, actually. So we're super excited about that. She's out in Jersey. So none of the schools evidently were open in uh, California. So she went as far East as she could away from me versus West. So um, but yeah, run a great mortgage team. I've got uh, six women who work with me and I've been doing it for 23 years. So I've used the mortgage business as my business to pay for my lifestyle and to kind of pay for the, all the things I've wanted to get out of life so far. And it's been, um, like I said, or I should say it's, it's been a great 23 years, except for really one uh, 2008. But other than that, it's been a great career. So beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for the intro, Matt. That's uh, that's a nice tee up. So I think what I want to do is just jump right into your professional journey. Okay. So maybe you can explain to us what got you started on this journey of pursuing, you know, uh, a role within the mortgage space and, and kind of take us through what that looked like. Yeah. Um, so I did an internship between my junior and senior at a mortgage company because I was a communications major, because I I was a communications major, because I wanted to take as little school as possible to get out of college. Um, Wasn't the best student, I'll be the first to tell you. But uh, did an internship at a mortgage company, 
got done with college, they said, hey, you might as well stay here. You might as well work here. I knew I always wanted to be in sales because I knew I didn't want to necessarily have tell someone tell me what to do. I have a little problem with authority. There's no doubt. And um, so I got into a mortgage company, had some great first bosses. I had five guys, four VPs, one owner, and each one of them, I took a aspect uh, back. This is before you, Robert, but back then there was uh, tapes of Zig Ziglar, which was a sales motivation guy. Zig Ziglar was a huge influence in my life between the ages of 23 and 26. I played cassettes while I'd walk around the lake that I lived by. And he and I distinctly remember him saying, pick five or six people you want to be like and take those, take the best of each of them and incorporate it into your life. And I can tell you, you know, one guy was money. One guy was a dad of six. One guy was a super fit guy. One guy was a great sales guy. And each one of them, I took different aspects of who I wanted to be and who I wanted to look like in 10 or 20 years. And I kind of molded myself after those five guys. And, um, you know, then my wife started, we started getting pregnant, had kids, had a real need to make more money. So hence got better and better at sales and really became a student of the game as far as learning people and learning sales and, and learning the hard work and the grind that it takes to, you know, be successful in a sales environment. I love that. So I feel like you opened the door with the Zig Ziglar comment. Um, <laughs> also a huge fan. And it sounds like the way you embodied that, that relationship with all those people you wanted to, um, to see yourself kind of grow into. It leads me to believe that there have been you know, some awesome mentors and resources that you've used in your life. Maybe you can speak to that a little bit, or maybe not. Maybe you were like self-made, self-taught, I'm good. No. No, no, not the least more. self, the least self-made guy you probably will talk to is I, I am a grinder. I will openly say 2.3 GPA from Western Illinois as a communication major. So that didn't, I was never going to be a doctor, but I am a grinder. And what I mean by that is, is that I will come in the office and I will do 50 hours of the top hardest work that you can give me in order to be successful. Um, but as far as mentors go, I'll take you back. I have a seventh grade basketball coach that I still talk to who was harder on me than anyone has ever been in my life. My counselor, my freshman and sophomore year in college, I still talk to, I call on Thanksgiving, every Thanksgiving, thanking him for getting him through, getting me through the first two years of college. Um, my father-in-law was my basketball coach in high school. My first coach, my first uh, boss was, you know, I still talk to my first like five or six mentors. I still talk to to this day because I still owe them the world and I still owe them the little things they taught me in each aspect of where they're part of my life that I owe them that much gratitude. And I still call them and still email them and still text them to basically express my gratitude of the life I have. Beautiful. So, but Dude. the least, the least self-made guy you'll yeah. talk. Yeah. I love that. So humble too, man. I feel like you're the modern, you know, uh, how to say, uh, Renaissance man. Like, you know, you, you put your priorities in place. Um, probably going to add some color to the listeners because we have a relationship, right? I, I didn't share yeah. that. Matt's not a stranger y'all. I, I know this guy, he has been instrumental in, in my, uh, you know, professional journey to in, in the real estate capacity. Right. I'm an investor. I got some properties and Matt's been amazing guiding me through that journey. So yeah, we know each other. And I, you know, I know a little bit more about you, Matt, you prioritize your family and you, 
kind of, you know, organize your life in a way that's becoming of a gentleman. And that's one thing I've always kind of been impressed by. So I feel like you're the, the perfect spokesperson to speak to this whole health is wealth concept, right? Juggling the, hey, you know, me and the wife, we got another kid on the way, we need to make more money. But at the same time, right? How's my mental space? How's my fitness? How's my nutrition? How, how's all that going? It's like the holistic picture. So I know this is a very long uh, <laughs> tee up for the question, but what would you say health is wealth means in your words? Well, um, not just physical, but I would say, you know, I'm 45 and Robert's younger than me. I won't say his age in case he doesn't want me to, but he's younger than me. But I will tell you to be a salesperson, a business owner, a corporate person, you know, it's not just about making it the first five years of your career. You know, and I tell everybody on my team, it's not about six weeks from now. It's six months. It's six years from now. And, you know, it takes a lot of mental fortitude to become a dad of three, to become a business owner, to run a sales team, to run a corporation, to do anything in this world. As you get older, all these little things, I think, knock at you. And it's your kid failing class. It's your kid skipping class. It's your business doing something wrong. It's a client's mad. It's there's these all these little things that go at you all day long that knock you down mentally, physically. And if you're not, if you're not sharp in the sense of you're not taking care of your, your eating and you're, you're drinking too much, or you're not working out. And if you're not ready to battle literally every day, I think there comes a time where you just don't want to battle anymore. And I really think that when you say health is wealth, it's mental health, it's physical health, and that's working out, that's reading, that's spending time thinking about what you want out of life um, so that you can mentally prepare yourself to go in the office, to do your best and to make what you want to make or do what you want to do. And, and um, people always say money, but the truth is, is that, you know, some people don't care about money. You know, I deal with the clients all day long that have tons of debt and they don't care. And I used to care. I used to like it. Oh, come on, let's get rid of this debt. Let's fix this debt. Let's do this debt. And you know, people, sometimes they just don't care. They'll have three car payments, 60 grand in credit cards, but they're happy. So like, who am I to say that they're wrong? And I, I don't live that way, but that doesn't mean they're not right. If they're happy, you know what I'm saying? Um, so health is wealth. I mean, I think a big part of that is mental health. That's the first and foremost. And then it's physical health so that you can get yourself up every day, raise three kids, have a wife that you still want to come home to at night and give a hundred percent attention to. Because my wife and kids, when they were little, my kids didn't care if I had a bad day. My wife cared if I had a bad day, but ultimately she wanted me to come home and be happy go lucky dad and take her out to dinner and be, and be have all this fun, even though I just got my teeth kicked in for nine hours. So I, I think it takes a lot of mental fortitude, but that comes with, taking care of yourself at the highest level so that you can give yourself to every other aspect of your life. I know that's a long answer, but the perfect answer. So it's a raw answer. I like that. The, the fortitude. I, I love that. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to take a break from this little show and make a little note for myself, actually. <laughs> that was, that was good. My listeners should know this by now, but uh, this is actually a selfish venture. Um, 
I do this as a form of accountability for myself. And from time to time, like now, I receive a nugget and I'm like, I need to deposit that. Matt, that hit hard. I really yeah. resonated with that. Um, I got to humanize you though, right? So tell us about some walls of adversity, maybe some challenges you experienced along the way. Because, I mean, you're a business owner, you're in business for 23 years. There's no way that happened super, super easy, right? No. You, you said teeth got kicked in a couple of times, right? Tell us some stories about that. Yeah. Well, I run my sales team, but I am the main salesperson. So after 23 years, I'm still the one that walks in the door on Monday and I fill out a greatness tracker. So still to this day, like this week, I called, I talked to a hundred clients. I sent out a thousand plus videos. I sent 20 plus, I sent 20 thank you cards. Um, I still meet 20, 25 people face to face a week, even through zoom meetings. Um, so I hear the word no four times as much as anyone on my team. And my team learns to respect that because they know that I'm in the trenches, even further down in the trenches than them. So the, the hard part is when you have, to, when you hire a team and then you have to let someone go, I've let, I've let as many people go as I've, you know, as I've kept on my staff and that stinks, you know, but there comes a certain personality that can work with me and work in our business. So my biggest failures, I would say are not the little things of, I lost a client or I lost money or I did that. My biggest failures is that I brought someone onto my team and then I failed them and I didn't train them correctly or I didn't um, treat them correctly. You know, as you're growing in business, when you're young, you think, oh, it's all about more money, more money, more dollars, more business, more business. And sometimes, you know, I'm a high D personality and I'll be honest with you, I can be a real jerk when it comes to business if things aren't going the way they're supposed to be going. Uh -huh. And, you know, I can tell you, I mean, I had to apologize to a girl I let go. I, I saw her a year later, I still apologize to her and I felt horrible, you know, but you know, that was just, um, one of, that was probably my biggest mistake in business ever is how I treated that particular woman. And I saw her a year later, I did apologize to her and almost teared up apologizing to her because I felt so bad the way I treated her. Um, as far as like, you know, being told, no, I don't have, I'm lucky. I don't have a problem being told. No, I mean, I will say that as a salesperson, that is a true gift that I have is that, you know, no to me is like, eh, whatever. I'm like a puppy next person want to pet me i don't care you know so i i mean that's that's really fortunate because a lot of people can't do that i i will say i'm lucky that way yeah so. i love that i think that's one of the traits that we both share too um just and, and i'm not sure why people and maybe you know right why people are so scared of rejection right like i guess from my perspective i've always been like an average dude, not yeah. very tall, not very good looking, not the smartest, not the anything est, right? So, I mean, early on, on my female conquest, I heard a lot of rejections, dude. <laughs> like, like, I got used to it. And that, you know, that callus just built up. So now in business, you know, I'm going after a big fish, high net worth client. And they tell me, no, I'm like, okay, it's a no today, but you'll come around. Like, right, right. And it's, it's, yeah, I'll find a way to catch you. Right, right. If I want to, I'll find a way. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. So, you yeah. know, to back to your back to your point of why do you think people fear rejection? I think yeah. I think it's just something we're taught as kids, and it's just something you, you know, you look at as as rejection is a bad thing. But you know, and the truth is, is that um, 
you know, like on our team, I will tell you, like I tell my team all the time, like, listen, just because someone tells you no, either A, you didn't provide enough value or B, they, they, whatever, they didn't want to work with us. That's okay. Like, we'll go find the next lead. We'll go find the next person. There's always the next person. Right. And, and it's a game to me in the sense of if I go out and get a hundred leads, I don't need a hundred clients. I need 30, I need 40 and I'll impress 30 or 40 out of the hundred because I'm an average salesperson, to be honest with you. If I was a really good salesperson, if you gave me a hundred leads, I could close 60 to 70 of them, but I'm not, I'm, I'm average. Like you, I'm six foot two, played basketball to junior college, learned that, learned what a real division one athlete was in, in junior college and realized, whoa, better, <laughs> better start going to college a little more because this ain't going to pan out, you know? So, uh, but I think rejection is just something we learn as a kid. And then, mm. you know, some of us get lucky and we get in with people that don't care about rejection. Mm. And then some of us never get around the people who don't care. I will tell you a lot of my mentors were like, man, I'm good enough. Whatever. People want to work with me. Great. If they don't. Okay. That's okay. It's not going to ruin my day. Mm. So. I think there's a lot of meat on that bone, you know, this is getting past that hump of accepting rejection. And, and like you were saying, making something you know, beautiful from it, right? A lesson about demonstrating enough value lesson about not batting a thousand. Right. Cause right. right like you said, you, you get a hundred leads, you close 30. That's a good day. Right. 30% conversion. That's awesome. I think a lot of people got in their head like 95 or better, you know? Right, if right. Five people told me no. Oh, it's a scary way to live. I wouldn't want to ask any questions, right? Right. You know? So I love that. Um, all right, let's 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 type into the brain of Matt. So what inspires you? Oh, that's a great question. Um, it's funny. In coaching, I'm working on this right now as we speak. So... Um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm at the point in my life and, and I hope this doesn't come across as arrogant or anything. I, just pure gratefulness is just, I'm at the point in my life where I get to really make decisions on what I, what I want to do versus have to do. If that makes sense. <clears throat> totally. You know, I've got, I've got colleges, you know, I'm like everybody. I got colleges to pay for. I've, I've been saving since they were born. Um, so what inspires me now, I will say, is thinking bigger in getting to where five to seven years from now, I want to step away from my business, still be involved, still be at a higher level of doing things, but to step away from my business and inspiring travel. I mean, I love traveling. I chase fish. So I'm an average fisherman. So I will literally drive. I will literally fly to Mexico to go fishing for two days for a particular fish that's in season that two days or Florida <laughs> or wherever I got to go. And I will do that. So, and that's well, a since, huge part. Yeah. I mean, since you brought it up, I feel like we got to tell people what's that one fish that you like to swim with that scares the living shit out of me. Sharks. Yeah. How did you get into that? Like Just a kid, a kid jaws. I mean, jaws to me, um, I have actually, I've been cage diving once, did not get to see a great white shark. Actually just saw a post on Instagram earlier today about, uh, the Guadalupe islands, which are off the coast of Mexico, where you can go for seven days and they have many, many sharks, they, many great whites there. So I will be doing that trip. I might actually be doing it this October. So my wife always had told me I had to wait till the kids were 18. So, <laughs> but you're in a cage. They're, they, they're not going to come in the cage. They're, you're in a cage. 
you are going to willfully get yeah. into a cage that's submersed in water, immersed, submersed, whatever you want to call submersed, it. Submersed, I think, yeah, okay. sure. In water, to live with them for a little while. Just like 20 minutes, just a quick, just a quick one. Yeah. yeah. You got to look it up. It's an amazing thing. Those sharks are, you know, 16 to 18 feet long, two to two to 4,000 pounds. I mean, amazing animals. It just, I mean, that you, you want to feel important in life or insignificant, go get in the water with an 18 foot shark and you'll realize <laughs> how insignificant we really are in this world. So, way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All right, <laughs> listeners, if you were wondering, yes, this man does have balls of steel. He's <laughs> sharks. Crazy. No, I love that though. So that, that's what inspires you. What would, um, just to kind of play it back from what I heard, you know, you're at a, at a nice stage of life where you can pivot from things that you got to do, things you want to do. And, and a big part of that is, you know, planning for your exit from your firm while still being somewhat involved, but also looking from a holistic perspective, you know, where, where does my value truly lie? Right. Is that, yeah. did I get that right? Yeah. Yeah. And with your health as well, I'm 45, <clears throat> I'll be 50 in five years. Yeah. Like I plan on living the next 30 years at a very active lifestyle, fishing, snowboarding, maybe switch it back over to skiing. We'll see how the knees hold up. But, you know, um, you know, if you've never been to like Colorado, I used to live in Colorado for a year. I took my kids out there and lived for a year and everyone out there lives this super healthy lifestyle. Everybody carries their own water. They don't drink out of plastic water bottles. They make their own food. You know, their houses are all dirty because they're always outside doing stuff. They're very active. And yeah. I think there comes a point in life where you worry more about longevity then you do worry about, you know, did I, did I, you know, save enough for my kids college or, you know, whatever. So we, we, we could talk about kids college another time. So that's, that's, that's a different conversation. I feel you. I want to tap in on this because you introduced an important topic, um, which I'll kind of paint a broad colloquial term of succession planning, right. Or just kind of like how to exit a firm. Um, I want to dive into this with you because you know, I've got a lot of clients of my own that, you know, they're nearing that retirement age and they're realizing their kids don't want to be, you know, successors of the, of the enterprise, right? So the parents thought, okay, and I'll, I'll use an example. So one of my clients is a dentist, right? He's got a 50 year practice, does really well, right? Multi-million yeah. in billings. And his kid actually went to dental school, the whole kit and caboodle. But then at the last minute was like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do this. Right. Hand, mouth, people's mouth. I, I don't want to do it anymore. And he's like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, right. The heir apparent. Like, what are you talking about? And I'm yeah. going to change the name. So uh, it's been coming up a lot. And I'd like to hear from you kind of, you know, what goes into your, you know, decision tree? Do you have like a, do you think one of your children will take over? Do you think you'll sell it? Um, are you comfortable talking about that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. So the plan is right now, um, my, you know, I would say my family thinks that my kids should take it over, but I tell my kids, you go get your college degree, go work for a corporation, go work wherever you want to work. And then in five years after working or two years after working or whatever it is, and you're like, no, I would like to take over that business. And I would like to work really hard. And I want to do the things that you've done to earn it. Then we could talk about it. But I think you have to go spread your wings somewhere else 
and really learn the way the world actually is versus coming to work for your dad. Um, I think that's super important because I've seen a lot of kids, I've seen people my age that took over family businesses that didn't really want them. And, you know, they feel stuck and they're unhappy because, well, you know, they're, they become, let's, let's just say they became a plumber because their dad was a plumber and they had a business for 30 years. Well, you know, the kid didn't want to be a plumber, but he had to be a plumber because his dad was a plumber, right? And I don't want to put that on my kids because what I do for a living is not easy. It's not hard, but it's not easy. You have to wake up every day and want to go to the office and really, you know, really drive and drive and drive. Um, so the plan is right now, the, my team is going to take it over. I have two women who plan on working another 10 to 15 years that pretty much run my team now anyways, and they're going to take over one sales side, one operation side. And um, so they plan on taking over as of right now. And obviously my kids are always welcome, but they do have to go spread their wings somewhere else first and then come back, start at the bottom, work your way up type thing. Love that. That's the way to do it. I hope. We'll oh, see. Well. <laughs> we'll see if they're in therapy when they're 30 and they need, they're like, I have daddy issues. We'll see. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Oh man. Um, Matt, this is an awesome dialogue, man. I'm, I'm genuinely enjoying this and you're, you're easy to talk to. Thank you. Well received. Yeah. Um, let's pivot for a moment because we, we haven't really talked about dollars and cents yet. Right. So, um, <clears throat> Let's play a game, right? So let's say someone's listening to you. They're really resonating with everything you're saying. They're like, okay, I am this guy. I've got three kids. Early on, it was about, you know, getting the finances in order, but now I need to kind of orchestrate a healthier life. Um, what what would be one piece of advice you could offer them? Okay, let's, let's play it back. Let's say they're maybe um, uh, 10 years younger than you. So you've got a little bit of a, a, a ramp. Use me if you want. Um, yeah. So what would you, what would you offer them as like some form of like encouragement or advice to kind of help them, you know, maybe avoid a mistake that maybe you made? Well, um, one, I, I, one thing I'm a huge believer in is get your part, get yourself part of organizations that have people in them that you want to be like, Okay. And, and I'll say this a couple of things, coaching, mentorship, country clubs, tennis clubs, um, basically anywhere, if you're in the, and then I'm talking to business people now, okay, even let's say teachers too, okay, like get part of coaching because the thing about coaching and everyone, always, and, and, I, and I find it so weird that America has this weird thing like, oh, like you said earlier, are you self-made and everyone's so damn proud of being self-made you know, that's boring. It's lonely. You know, anyone, if you know anyone that's ultra successful, they're, they're usually bored or they're lonely because it's lonely. You can't talk when you have a half a billion dollars in the bank, who are you going to talk to other people who have a half a billion dollars in the bank? And they're not just running around. You know what I mean? And I, and I yeah. say this from experience, actually, I, I mean, I do know a couple of people that are ultra like that. Um, but the truth is, is that like, you know, if you're, if I was younger, I would say, get involved in coaching. If you like golf, get involved with a country club. If you like tennis, get involved with a tennis club, get involved with organizations or things that are, and they're expensive. Don't get me wrong, but yet it's more expensive not to get coached. If you're a part of any sales organization at all, you absolutely have to be in a coach, some type of coaching program at all. You know, PJ golfers are coached. Olympians are coached. Everyone's coached. 
because someone has to hold you accountable. When you go through life not being held accountable and not being checked, that's the worst thing for most people. Because if you don't get checked on a daily basis, one thing great about being married, and you'll notice, Robert, is that <laughs> you get checked on a daily basis. You say something stupid, your wife's like, uh, uh, what'd you say? You know, whereas if you go home every night, and you don't have a wife at home or kids at home, and you just get to say whatever you want to say and believe whatever you say, who's checking you? Who's holding you accountable? And I don't, I don't, I I disagree with people who don't want to be held accountable or aren't getting in check, getting someone to check them once in a while to make sure they're going down the right path. I, I hope that was not a long end, too long. So I, I would have welcomed a little bit longer. That was perfect. Oh, yeah. No, that's you know what? Be, be weary of people that are yes people around you. Yes people. Ooh. Go deeper. Go deeper. What, what do you mean by so that? So I will tell you my first, and I, and I, I, I know, I hope my first boss doesn't ever listen to this, but my first boss surrounded himself with yes people. And his ego got so big, it cost him his company about 10 years later. Wow. So he could have been, he was successful. He could have been ultra successful if he didn't have his ego get the best of him. But yet... He surrounded himself with all yes people. And I will tell you, Mike, on my team, I don't want anybody saying yes to me. If I say something stupid, say something. If I'm doing something stupid, say something. If I'm being a jerk to a client, come in my office, pinch me in the arm and say, knock that off. Because, you know, we all have bad days. We all have bad situations, right? right I right. want people around me that are going to speak up and say, dude, what are you doing? You're way better than that. I would love people to say that to me, like, man, what are you, you're way better than that. What are you doing? Like, right. I think that's, you know, and, and we all have to, we all have that time where someone needs to say that to us to be like, yeah, you know what? I don't want to be remembered like that. You know, I don't want clients to think like that. I don't want family to think like that. I want, I want people to know I'm grateful and, and for what I have. So. This man is dropping truth bombs, gems, <laughs> nuggets of wisdom and truth. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, I got so much to unpack, but I want to go into the one aspect that hit me the hardest. So if you're listening and something else kind of clicked with you, I'm sorry, I'm not going to talk about that. I want to talk about this piece about accountability because in a previous interview where I was the guest, people were asking me questions. So I'll give you a minute to kind of breathe here, Matt. Um, you know, they asked me, they're like, you know, what would you say is one of the primary reasons you're successful? And I had reached, mm -hmm. you know, a, a milestone in my life on my journey. I'm not going to share that now, but it was a big one and it meant a lot. And this person was kind enough to let me kind of explain what that was. And I guess my knee jerk reaction was to say, you know, you know, uh, I don't know, like the, a, a gung-ho spirit, like the willingness to fall down seven times, stand up, right. eight, that whole mantra. But I guess in retrospect, that's not a good answer. So I might have to go back and correct that. I think it was the shortcut that was made possible from mentors that took off the toddler glove. You feel mm -hmm. me? Because yeah. when, when you were saying like, don't surround yourself with yes men, right? Like find a, a group, a coach, you know, you know, golfing coach, tennis coach, like someone that's gonna hold you accountable. That's exactly what I had. When I was back in what was it, 22 years old, I had three coaches, three mentors, and they all, they kept it very rough with me. And they told me like, 
you know, you're, you're not going to, you're not going to material. Nothing's going to work for you. If you keep up this, if you keep doing this. And I'm like, damn, like I'm right out of college. Like no grace, no, right. no room grace. to grow, nothing, nothing. And, you know, some years later, I'm so thankful for that because they could have easily been like, oh no, it's fine. You're young. You'll figure it out. No, they were very tough on me. Boom, 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 boom. But now I'm a force to be reckoned with, dude. Like it's like pound for pound, you know, if, if we're going at it head to head in my industry, in my domain, I'm a subject matter expert. Either I'm gonna win or or I'm gonna die. Like it, there's just there's no oh there's he didn't no plan, make there's it. no plan B. There's no plan B. No, I don't even can't even say the word without <clears throat> coughing. Right, right. But I love that. I love what you said, and I hope people listening really take a moment and digest that. In a world where no one holds you accountable, you are not only doing a disservice to yourself, but you're also kind of handicapping your future in a way. And that's not oh, fair to you. Find totally. someone. Yeah, you totally are. Yeah. So, so what I'm hearing you say is find someone that, you know, knows a little bit more than you, you know, does the things you like to do. And, and maybe was there something else to that, Matt? Um, just people, just people that are where you want to be in the future. Got it. Got it. And, and, and put your, and I mean, put your ego away, you know, I mean, that's so cliche, but it's so true. I mean, so true. I mean, honestly, if you were 30, if you were like, like, I don't get coached by someone who does less business than me. I would not hire a trainer that weighs more than me. I don't hire a financial advisor that doesn't have more money than me. I don't, I don't want, I'm not interested in working with people that are less, and I'm not saying, and I'm, I'm not being mean. I'm not interested in working with anybody that has less than me, does less than me, has accumulated less than me. I want people to, I want to strive for more. Like I'm not interested in average mm -hmm. when it comes to those aspects of my life. It's powerful. You know? Mm -hmm. And I don't think people should be, you know, and, and like my nieces and nephews coming out of college and stuff, we talk all the time and I, my niece texting me all the time and she's like, uncle Matt, give me a book, give me a book, you know? And, and I'm like any Navy SEAL book, just pick one. Let just read what those guys go through to become a Navy SEAL. And if you think you got problems at the workplace, read about a Navy SEAL going through sitting in the water for six months in a row at 48 degree water. You know, and then tell me you've got problems at the office. Mm. So. What's your favorite book? Favorite Navy SEAL book? Oh, it's it's actually a doozy. It's um, Living with a Seal. Hmm. Who's the you've author? Not, you've not read it? I just finished uh, David Goggins' book. So David Goggins got popular because he went and lived with Jerry Itzler. Jerry Itzler. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He Jerry Jerry met him at a race paid Goggins to come live with him for 30 days in his Park Avenue penthouse. And, and Jerry Itzler's wife is the, the woman who created Spanx. Amazing woman. I don't know her name, but super smart, just awesome. And uh, Goggins came and lived with them in his Park Avenue park uh, apartment for three, for 30 days. And he, he writes about the 30 days. It's a great book. It's funny. You will wow. laugh your ass off. It is so funny. And Goggins is... The real deal, crazy, 
Did you read Can't Hurt Me by Goggins? I, I did. That's yeah. a good one. But Itzler made Goggins famous by doing this whole living with the seal for 30 days. Ah, so that's the, I gotcha. I was wondering. Yeah. Because ah, okay. in, in the book, he even calls him seal versus David Goggins because Goggins didn't want his name in the book. But this is, wow. this is years ago, years and years ago. So it's a great book. It's funny. And uh, it, it teaches you just how Goggins has some screws loose, no doubt about it. <laughs> but I love it. I, I love listening to his stuff. He's great. I've read his books and everything. He's fun. So, but that's my favorite seal book. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Well, let me ask you, let's turn the tables around a little bit. Is there a question that I didn't ask you that maybe I should have, or do you have any for me? <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I have to say, like, I think this is super cool that you're doing this for your listeners and the people that follow you because, you know, I deal with debt all day long and I see what debt does to the average family. And you understand my average client is a electrician and a teacher, you know, or a plumber and a teacher. You know, I, I deal with dual household incomes. I'm in the Northwest suburbs and I, I, I love that you're doing this for your people. And I love that you're doing this for uh, getting this word out to the people that follow you because I just don't think we watch enough of this or listen to enough of this stuff because it's just so important. Debt ruins families. Debt ruins marriages. Debt ruins relationships with parents, kids, family, friends. I mean, it, it, the money's just a, it's not air, but it's pretty important. So um, I, I appreciate you do this. And I think more and more of this should be done. Uh, what questions should you ask? Hmm. Let's ask about money. Not off the table. So I think when people get out of college, I think they should learn to save 10 to 20% of their income all the time. You know, um, you know, I don't know if that's a question, but I would say that's if people just got used to saving 10 to 20% consistently day one from the get go, you're 31. Think about if you save 10 to 20%, you might've, I mean, you're a smart guy. You might've, but I was taught that by my first, but one of my first bosses save 20% of your income the rest of your life. And um, he said, you'll never wake up and wish you didn't save that money. And that's <laughs> that's one of the true things he said to me. So. So true. Yeah. So true. Definitely agree with that. Are, are you asking for my opinion on, on that? Yeah. Assertion? Yeah. I mean, at, at a minimum, right? At a minimum, it's 10 to 20%. And I've got some math to back it up. When you're first starting off, you have the ability to, to establish a baseline for yourself. And when that gross pay that they offer you in the contract, right? Because you get an offer letter when you get a job and they're like, here's your salary. You're not going to get that. Like, so your right. first lesson is they told you a number, you might get like 70%. First lesson in business. Oh, my salary is 50000 No, it's not, sweetie. <laughs> That's right. No. no. There's this thing called tax. There's this thing called voluntary exemptions. There's this thing, this thing called deductions and insurance and fringe benefits. Yeah, 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 yeah. You're not getting 50, sweetie. You might get 40. So good job. That's your first lesson. So if you could just kind of digest that, double down on it, and say, okay, well, I'm not going to live off 40. I'm going to tell myself I make 30. It's 25%. 25% haircut of 40,000. That's 30. That becomes the baseline. So every incremental raise, you know, maybe I make 60 and then 70 and 80. Establish that same 25% equation. And then, oh my God, like, you know, compound interest, right? I might make a yep. song about it, but just <laughs> daily contributions into a 
growth account, small little tidbits every two weeks, every time you get paid. It's, it's ridiculous how compound interest works. Eighth wonder of the world, Einstein said it. All the people that are wealthy back it up. It's just, it's amazing. Right. So to that question, absolutely. I think we need to get very comfortable with this notion of saving and putting away money and to divorce this mentality of YOLO, I'll save when I'm old. YOLO. Yeah, no. I finally I finally knew what that meant. I read it on Reddit a couple of weeks ago when they were doing the whole GameStop thing, which is still going on. So oh, I, didn't really, I didn't know what YOLO even meant. <laughs> Got to get in tune, man. I guess. I mean, I just don't. What, what can I say? I don't read that kind of material, so no, they don't say good. YOLO on Fox News or, <laughs> or on uh, Fox Business News or CNBC. Yeah. Joe Karens or whatever his name is never like YOLO. <laughs> so, so let me ask yeah, you this: yeah. Did you ever sell Spotify, maybe or Shopify? There, there. Robin and I know each other, so he told me to buy Shopify, which I will say I bought and I sold quickly, and I shouldn't have because it. He's he's a mad genius. I know. I know. I get emotional. That's why that's why I have advisors. I have financial advisors because I get emotional. Yeah. Emotion you gotta remove out of the equation. Can I um I'm gonna show you something. I wanna show you something. I think okay. you'll appreciate it. Give me one sec. Ooh, my listeners are in for a treat. I normally don't bust out all this unless they're a paying client. But I'm gonna I'm gonna spill the beans because I've got my homeboy mad. All right. Oh wait. Where's the? I'm sure I can be seen in the reflection. Scuttling around. All right. See these? Shoes, yep. Yep. So these are what they call, um, I guess, expensive luxury sneakers. So I'm a sneakerhead. And it's something I'm not proud of. But much like fishing and snowboarding, it's the, it's something that brings me so much joy. Like to wear the shoes that you know all the NBA players that I grew up kind of looking up to and aspiring to, the stuff they wear and the new stuff that they're kind of rocking right now. So long intro, but with me purchasing these shoes to avoid buyer's remorse and that guilty feeling of like, oh my God, I just spent $400 on a pair of shoes. I could have fed a village in Kenya, right? To avoid that, I match purchases like this with investment. So mm. every time I buy something like to flex, like something fun, something silly, I put that same amount into the market. Sometimes I 10 exit just to kind of hold myself accountable. And the thought process is like, okay, if you're willing to spend double on it, then you really want it. Right, right. So what I did when I got these shoes, these are pretty expensive pair of shoes. Some of the sneakerheads watching this will be like, oh my God, oh, those are fresh. Why, how much are those? Uh, they've appreciated to $1,800. $1,800 for a pair of sneakers? They have, they appreciated it to that. I think wow. I got them for, for 300, three or 400 bucks. Wow, yeah. What's Not crazy though, well, hear, hear me out. So 6X appreciation, 6X, 300 to 1,800. That's pretty good. Guess what that Shopify is though? <laughs> Would you? It was like three hundred. I think it's like eleven fifty today. It's up there. Yeah, it's up there. But my cost basis is under a hundred. Oh, is it really? That's awesome. Good for so you. So that's that's my thing. The way I can remove emotion is by doing that. So to answer yeah. your question, no, I did not sell Shopify. 
I'm going to keep it probably, I don't know, maybe two or three more years. Until Google, Google comes in and just says, here, here's, there's a gajillion dollars leave. Post acquisition. Yeah. I, I yeah. definitely sell it off. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That's I didn't know you were question. I didn't know you loved, I didn't know you loved shoes that much. I do, man. I think it's the basketball player in me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who's your favorite player growing up? Jordan. All right. Is that a question? I didn't know. I mean, you're, 30, you're 31. Did you ever get to see Jordan play? Jordan grew like, that was my era. What's funny is I did. And uh, <laughs> when I was a little kid, I um, my dad took me to a, a Bulls game. And I remember watching and getting a little frustrated that we had like seats way far back. <laughs> and I kept having to squint and try and make out who was dribbling the ball. Yeah. I remember that vividly. And I told myself, I'm like, I'm never sitting in these seats again. I'm yeah. going to sit where they sit because I feel like they can see everything. And I know this because they're sitting down. Like people in the, you know, in the, in the suites yeah. and the boxes, yeah. they don't stand for the game. They don't have to. I'm like, they don't have to. <laughs> so, yeah, it's funny. You're asking great questions. You need to be hosting a show like this. I didn't. I, my first Bulls game I went to, I couldn't see the difference between Tony Kukoc and Scottie Pippen. That's how high. That's how high. I, I, but I was. Uh, I mean, you talking sixteen but, shades of pigment, brother. That's right. And then I got closer, and then it was a lot easier once I got a little more. I, I made a couple dollars, and then I went down, sat closer. So, yeah. That's it. That's it. Yeah. I love. Yeah, that. well, Jordan. Jordan. I mean, Jordan's got that mentality, right? He, I mean, people are like, well, how was, you know, uh, it's great. I had a conversation with my eighteen-year-old the other day, and he said. He said, is Tiger Woods done? I said, man, he really tore up his leg. He was already having back issues. He tore up his leg. He goes, yeah, but his son will be the next great thing. I said, yeah, his son probably won't get the gift of being a complete psychopath, competitive man. Because to be Tiger Woods, it's one to be talented. It's a whole nother thing to have that switch in your brain that just cannot let you lose. You know, Jordan, Kobe, you know, there's, you know, I, there's a couple that I've watched over the years that like, they just have that I'll never lose mentality, mm. you know, and, yeah. you know, so in business, I mean, I, you know, there's, there comes a time where, you know, when you wake up in the morning, are you going to win or lose that day? Mm. You know, and, and sometimes you got to make it a sport. I mean, you're an ex-basketball player. You got to make this thing somewhat of a sport sometimes because it makes it fun, makes it interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I like Tiger. what you said there. That's, but I don't think Tiger's son will be as good as Tiger. I hear that a lot. It's hard because, you know, the dominant parent typically sets the bar so high yeah. that, the, that the kid just doesn't... It's it's too intimidating, right? It's such a big shadow. Right. Um, and I saw that with Jordan's sons. I actually played basketball with him. Um, oh, did you? Yeah, Marcus and Jeffrey. So Okay. Not to say they're like they're super talented. They jump as high as he did. I mean, amazing. But they're not pros. They're not playing in the league. Right. Right. They're doing different things, and it's awesome. And it's, they're killing it, obviously. But and it's hard to be the the understudy of a goat. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, yeah. It's just not it's not realistic. And those guys just have they have switches. They have you know they just have a switch that you just one in a billion has, and that's just the way it is. I don't know what that switch is, but they have it. Yeah. Would you say you have it? No. No? No. Who's no. the closest person in proximity to you that you know has it? 
mentor, colleague? Or I honestly, honestly, like those guys have, I couldn't even answer it. I wouldn't even try to. Those guys are just so far beyond the normal human being. I, I just, you know, like, like you played basketball. So I played at junior college for two years, right? Which is a big deal for a six foot two guy to play basketball two years in college and to get school paid for, right? My parents thought it was awesome. And, but the minute you start playing guys that are six, six, they're twice as fast as you, they're twice as talented as you are. And then those guys are just going to play low division one. Like, it's kind of like, well, what the hell do you have to be to be a pro? And then I got to play against Antoine Walker a couple times in summer league down in, down in Chicago. And yeah. then I was like, oh, he's six, nine and three times faster than me and can shoot three times better than me. And like, it's just like, oh, it starts stacking up. You're like, it's just different, you know, and Antoine Walker had a great pro career, but not anywhere near like, uh, you know, I don't even know if he was, I don't know if he's, uh, uh, I don't think he was uh, retired or anything like that. Or what do you call it? Um, Hall of Fame. Yeah, Hall of Fame. But, you know, he had a great career, but still, I mean, just an average NBA player, probably at most, that people right. would say. But it's just, there's that, you're just, that talent level. There's just people that have that charisma and talent and that extra, extra, extra. And then Jordan and Tiger and Kobe, like, as far as I'm concerned, those are the three that I've just thought. And, and Tom Brady, I mean, you know, mm. you put Tom Brady up there, he just, he just doesn't lose, you know. Now, of course, he loses, but for the gist of it, they win. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so... Totally agree. But anyways, I'm sorry to get off topic. No, I like it. That switch. That switch. Yeah. I like it. <clears throat> but yeah. All right. I want to wrap it up with one final question for you, Matt. All right. Um, so you're, what, what I need to do in this show is uplift and empower people to win in life. Money, mindset, happiness, all that good stuff. And in order to do that, I kind of call on my friends and my network that fit your build. So been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, very well established. People love you. They appreciate you, myself included. Um, what is something that you can impart to the listeners to um, to kind of help them build out a process? So having a hard time conjuring up this question just because it's, it's a little vague. So let, let me zoom in a little bit. What are some processes that you've adopted that have contributed to your success. I like that. That's good. Okay. Um, first and foremost is leverage. Mm. So hire people, whether you can afford it or not, hire people that are smarter than you, that, um, that are different from you. And I would say that's the number one thing. I mean, if you look at, like for me, for sake of example, let's say I have six people on my team and let's just say for sake of example, I made a million dollars last year, okay? Right? I have a buddy who's got 4,000 employees. He made a lot more than a million dollars last year. He made probably 50 to $100 million last year. So that's, that's leverage, right? So right. the process of, leveraging your business has to be, if you want to get bigger and if you want to get away from your business, this is two things. Number one, how do you make more money? You leverage. How do you get freedom from your business? You leverage. Because if you don't, you're always the person picking up the email, the phone call, doing every little aspect of the business. And it's just not, it's not, it's not an, it's not an option. Right. You, know, you can't do something for 20 years 
and keep doing it for 20 more years if you want to get bigger, stronger, better. Mm, right? You need scale. people to help you. So right. I would say number one, number one is leverage. Hire smart people that are different from you. Um, number two, figure out three things that work in your business and just repeat those three things. For me, I do the same thing Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I do Monday phone calls. I do Tuesday phone calls, Wednesday phone calls, Thursday phone calls, Friday phone calls, videos. I do the exact same thing because I figured out what's worked. And now I'm just going to keep doing those things. I'm going to hire the stuff I don't like doing through leverage. And I'm going to keep doing the things I like doing and everything else. I'm going to keep hiring to get rid of more and more and more. So I can literally just focus on talking to clients, meeting the clients, trying to get more leads. That's my business. So money. But that's, that's hard to do when you're just in the daily um, grind of your business every day. Whereas, oh, what's that book I just bought? It just got referred by two people. Um, the, the Road Less Stupid. <laughs> and I know it sounds funny, but it's a book just about thinking and just yeah. about stop being in your business all day, every day. And just think 10 to 15 minutes a day of things you can replace yourself doing. So, mm. you know kind of, you know, to yourself, to your point, I would say leverage and then figure out three things that make your business profitable. Yeah. And then you do those three things and that's all you should do. Man, that's real good, Matt. I feel bad for you, man. You're going to get a lot of inbox emails probably tomorrow morning with people. Hey, can you mentor me? Can you be <laughs> no, my I coach? I think they're going to come to you. I need I a think guide. So. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I think people really need to hear that. Definitely leverage, man. I couldn't yeah. tell you. Like when I first started my company, I was what you were describing. I was everyone. I wore everyone's hat. I was a, I was a, a CPA. I was a tax expert. I was a bookkeeping expert, email writer, tour responder, whatever. Yeah. Right? And, and I had a lot to prove, right? I came into the game pretty young, baby face. Who's going to trust me with like $20 million, right? Like I had to show up and deliver. So I'd be replying to emails super fast, right? Every 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not scale. <laughs> I couldn't do anything else. I had yeah. no time to do it. So then, yeah, on onboarding new talent that smarter, better, faster, and could offer me up some time. Definitely yeah. agree with that. And then the scale well, you're, factor. You're, you're so talented. I mean, it, like there's anything, there's nothing you can't do. I can tell you that because working with you and knowing you, there's nothing you can't do at a super high level. But that doesn't mean you should be doing it. You know what I mean? And and if this was Easter Seals or if this was a fundraising company and you just got to come here and work, you know, as a fundraiser, there's nothing wrong with you doing each and every step and everything. But the truth is, if you want to run a business and you want freedom and you want to get home to the wife and kids and you want to do all the other things in life to keep you mentally healthy, you can't. You can't reply to emails at 1030 at night and then wake up at 430 and reply to emails, then go work out for an hour and then reply to emails, then do phone calls, then prospect, then meet with six clients, then reply to emails. And it just, you won't, you won't make it. You will literally hate your life. And I don't care what anyone says, do it for 20 years and see if you like your life. And you're, I'm telling you, you're going to talk to someone that's like, I hate it. I hate it. You know? So you just saved 2000 businesses from going bankrupt, by the way, <laughs> by just saying that. Yeah. yeah. Just because you can do it doesn't mean you should do it. Right. 
That is so powerful. You don't even realize it. Like, honestly, I, I do think with, because with COVID, there's been a lot of emerging startups, right? People that are working from home, they've got a little bit more bandwidth. They're like, hey, I can, I'm going to branch out and do my own thing, right? They're getting inspired from like the, the Gary Vs of the world to go out yeah. and do something. Which is awesome. Which is totally awesome. But I feel like, and I've been here myself, right? Um, you get to a point where you have the opportunity to really scale and grow a business from like, Seventy thousand dollars to like two mil. It's yeah, like the ramp is there, but you have to offload some of the responsibilities to get up there, right? Right, right. I, man, how you said it is perfect. I might put it on a T-shirt. Just <laughs> because you can do it doesn't mean you should be doing. It. Right, and that's yeah. a lot. And that's a lot of stuff in business. Mm. You know, I have six women that work with me. Yeah. And each one of them has their top three things that they do, just like me. Yeah. But then each one of them do 25 other things so that clients have a great experience. True. You know, and it's there's a million little things that go into making a business successful. And like even like the other day, I, I told my I told my team members like, man, if we get the CRM thing, this or this and this, we'll do this. Then I'm like, look at us. We might even be a real sales organization one day. You know, and I'm 23 years in this stupid business. And it's like, but you, you just, you, you never stop learning and it never stopped changes. And COVID, I mean, really made it changes. And, and, and like, I, I'm, I'm excited for the future of this country, especially the younger generation, because there are no limits to what they can do and where they can do it from with what device or wherever they want to do. It's great, you know, and I just think that they have such a huge advantage going forward compared to even when I was 22 or 23, right? You had to be in a city. You had to be doing your business. You had to have your business was all localized. Now, I mean, you can do business anywhere. I mean, I could be doing this interview from Alaska and you wouldn't know, oh, wow. right? And it's, mm -hmm. I just think the world, there was that old book, the world is flat, which it was too boring for me to read, but, um, Full disclosure, I, it was supposed to be fascinating. I was like, I read 60 pages. I'm like, oh boy. But um, but you can work from anywhere. It's super cool. And that's why, I mean, this younger generation, even like people, if you're 50 or less, let's say 60 or less, you can do anything. I mean, it's super cool. And it's just, it's really fascinating to where this country has gone so quickly in a year, I think. You know, COVID changed so much and it's not all bad. I, I mean, I don't mean to be the crazy optimist guy, but. There's a lot of good things that have come in that granted now losing people is not what I'm talking about, but the world is going to change. You know, I no longer will ever wait in a doctor office ever again. <laughs> like literally text me when you're ready, I'll come in or a dentist's office. Like, I don't know how your guys are down there, but up here, they yeah. text us when they're ready. You walk yeah. in, they take you right back. I mean, that's a great, that's a great savings. So definitely agree. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we won't go into COVID. I love it. All right, wrap us up, Matt, here. Um, tell us why it is an awesome experience working with your branch of Fairway Mortgage and, um, you know, just, just the, the value you contribute to the society. To society, you said? Or your clientele, yeah, your, 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 your network. Yeah, um, well, we, we like to, I mean, this is the difficult part of it because then I got to sell myself, right? Um, but... You know, it's more than it's 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 an experience. So when clients come to us, our best clients are the ones that need help or need consulting. 
they don't know what a point is or they don't know what their payment should be. They don't know what cash to close means. And we do everything upfront prior to buying. So the whole claim to fame of our business is we do this consultation. Now they're all Zoom meetings. They used to be face to face because I like people. I like meeting people. Uh, but now they're all Zoom meetings. But uh, we do a consultation right up front while we're doing their pre-approval. So when they go out looking at houses, before they walk in a house, they know what their payment's going to be and they know exactly what their cash to close is going to be. Especially in this market that we're in right now is when you walk in a house and you like it, you better be ready to write an offer literally today. Because if you're not, you will not buy a house today. It's just the best real estate market I've seen in 23 years. So yeah, healthy, very healthy. Illinois finally, people from Illinois are finally able to get all their money back out from like 06, 07 when the market crashed back then. So, but yeah, uh, but I would say, yeah, that's our, I mean, our purchase consult, getting you ready to buy prior to actually buying is, is the one that we do totally different than most mortgage companies out there. Most mortgage companies just say, yeah, you're pre-approved, go buy a house. Let us know when you get a contract. It's like, well, wait a second. What's my payment? What's my cash to close? Oh, don't worry about that. Just we'll worry about that later. But yeah, I love it. I yeah. love it. And to the people listening, you know, Matt's actually been, you know, the, the mortgage loan originator on a few of my property acquisitions. And what he's saying is true. They take a very um, a white glove approach and how they treat me. And, you know, I guess specifically for me as a as a as a man of color and, you know, some someone kind of young, I'm pretty young, I'd say they didn't treat me any different than that of like CEO of Microsoft, right? Very professional, you know, always a Mr. Whitley, which I don't need a freaking Mr. Whitley, right? <laughs> but they just do it because that's in their DNA. So um, Matt, why don't you tell people what your, um, you know, your typical client profile is? I, I heard you say plumber, teacher earlier, but I'm sure you don't just work exclusively with them. No, yeah, yeah, right. And I mean, obviously we're looking for people that are buying houses, whether you want to invest in real estate like you do, uh, where you're buying rental properties, one to four units, or you're buying your first house, your second house, your third house, you know, that's what we're doing, residential mortgages. So obviously the perfect client for us is someone that needs help. You know, if you're buying your sixth house and you're super savvy with money and you want to go online and you want to do the whole quick and loan. Yeah. Typically you'll save some money. You'll save, you know, they cut out a lot of the middleman, which I agree. There's, there's a need for that in this world. There's no doubt about it. Um, but that's not our clientele. Typically are people that want to be taken care of. They want someone to handle every aspect of it. We're the, uh, Nordstrom's of mortgage companies, as we like to say. <laughs> nice. I love <laughs> it. I love it. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, this was awesome. You dropped yeah. a lot of, a lot of, a lot of awesome gems for everybody. And I think, I think it's really going to hit home for a lot of people. So thank you. Seriously. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks, Robert. I, I appreciate it. This was fun. I have to say this was, uh, I don't do, I don't get asked to do these things very much because where we live and what we do, but thank you, man. This was a lot of fun. And I'm really uh, happy for your listeners and the people that you get this out to. Hopefully it helps somebody. And even if it affects one person in a positive manner, it's, it's worth it. hundred percent. Thanks, Matt. All right, everybody. This has been another episode of the health is wealth show the show is for people who want to, you know, see some green and not sacrifice their overall health and the process. This community is about sharing and caring and learning and growing from the examples, stories of people like Matt Brewer, who you just heard from. Matt does it all. 
mortgage planning, <laughs> fisherman, snowboarding, uh, husband, father. It's an overall good dude and a, a wonderful, beautiful human being. So thank there you again, go. Matt. Yeah. Enjoy your date night with your lovely wife. And we'll talk again soon. All right, till next time. Health is wealth, y'all. Cheers. <laughs>